Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. Something a little different this week, we're actually bringing you into one of our house churches. We've been meeting on Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights as a church in houses all over the Hampton Roads area, but we hope you feel a part of one of our house churches and that God meets you wherever you're watching this as well too. Well tonight I actually want to talk um, about reconciliation. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to read this from, 2 Corinthians 5. There's a lot of talk in our world right now about reconciliation. A lot. What does it mean? How do we get it? Um, Whether it's reconciliation between races, reconciliation between uh, police and civilians, reconciliation between Democrats and Republicans, reconciliation between Duck Donuts fans and Krispy Kreme fans. which somebody had a donut contest and they were trying to decide whether Dunkin' Donuts or Duck Donuts was the best. And I'm like, how did you even leave Krispy Kreme out of the equation? That's like another whole, whole category. Um, but there's all kinds of conflict, it seems. It seems like we're a world in conflict. And, and a common cry that we hear is that our world needs reconciliation. But I think sometimes reconciliation comes about very differently to the way that we try to make it come about. And what I always want to do when I look at the world, whether the world seems like it's absolutely on fire or whether the world seems like everything is going fine, I want to always view what's happening in in this present age through the lens of the Bible. And I want to see what God sees. I want to hear what God hears. I want to feel what God feels. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean that I wear a WWJD bracelet, because what I found about nothing wrong with WWJD bracelets, but often I found that when people who wear the WWJD bracelets all have a different idea about (coughs) WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's often based upon their own filters and and their own, honestly, worldly or human mindset wisdom. But I actually want the mind of Christ. I want to not just guess what Jesus would do. I want to know what Jesus is doing, what he has done, and I want to know what he's going to do. And the Bible says that we can have his mind about things, which also means not only do we think the way he thinks, but we see things the way that he sees. It's funny that when Jesus walked the earth for the three years that he had his ministry, at least, with his disciples, they never really saw things the way he did. They would approach the exact same situation, but they would see it very differently. There was a moment when two of his disciples, um, there were people that were like making fun of him. I guess the equivalent today would be someone made a nasty comment on my Facebook post. And they came and literally asked Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and destroy the entire town? (laughs) That was their request. Can we drop an atomic bomb on this town because a few people made some negative comments on our Facebook post or whatever the equivalent was for them in that day. They just couldn't see it the way that Jesus saw it. And so they'd get confused and Jesus, guys, look, this is not really the time for 
dropping napalm on entire cities because somebody said something bad about you. In fact, even at the cross, there was nothing but confusion from his disciples. They scattered to the point that one of those closest to him, Peter, denies even knowing Jesus three times. They never saw things the way Jesus saw. But when they saw him raised from the dead, it kind of put everything into perspective. But when they received the Holy Spirit, that's when they saw what God saw. Because it wasn't just trying to keep up with Jesus. Can you imagine three years of ministry with Jesus? You're constantly playing catch up. Like, hang on, we can't call fire down? Okay. One moment, Jesus says, sell everything, buy a sword, strap it to your side. The next moment, Peter's cutting off a servant's ear with a sword. And he goes, what are you doing with a sword? He's like, well, you just told me to... I'm confused here. Like it's, they're constantly playing catch up with what Jesus wants of them. But when they received the Holy Spirit, they now had God not with them. They had God in them. And so it changed their perspective on their world. In fact, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, the very next thing we see is Peter standing up and giving. Peter the fisherman. Peter the guy that Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Who, who, not the most educated, didn't always get it right, rash and impetuous, stood up and gave the most eloquent and powerful presentation of the gospel that I think I've ever read in Scripture. What happened? Peter got the mind of Christ. Peter finally saw what Jesus saw, and he goes, oh, these men are not drunk as you suppose, because people thought they were drunk. He said, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied about, that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions. This is that. And I'm going to tell you all about Jesus. He began to see what was happening around him through the eyes of God because God was now in him. So when I look at what's happening in the world today, when I look at our reaction to COVID, when I look at our reaction to, you know, the horrible murder of George Floyd or the racial tensions that are probably being a little bit revealed right now, I don't want to look at it through my worldly, fleshly mindset. I don't just want to look at what the world is saying about it and jump on board with what everybody else is saying. That's probably been the biggest temptation I've seen from leaders right now is they're so eager to have something to say that they just look at what somebody else said and jumped on board and were like, yeah. And so the whole world becomes an echo. Now those things aren't necessarily bad, but they also aren't necessarily what God's doing, what God is seeing, and what God is saying. So maybe I'm a little bit slow to respond to things sometimes because I actually want to make sure I've got the mind of Christ about it, not just my own personal opinion. And so the pursuit that we've got now that I've seen the most, and it's a good pursuit, is this pursuit of reconciliation. But I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5 about what God has to say about that. And I'm in verse 15, okay? If you're watching online, you can... Join us as well. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has gone. The old has come, the new is here. What's the new? The new is us, our spirit, being renewed by the Spirit of God. So we don't see things the way we used to. We used to regard people in a worldly point of view. We 
Christians, disciples, we don't regard people from a worldly point of view. And I think it's tempting for a Christian to go back to that worldly point of view, to interpret our world and to view people through the worldly point of view. I want the mind of Christ. Then he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself. Who did God reconcile us to? Himself. That was not a rhetorical question. It's okay. (laughs) Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what reconciliation is. I am all for racial reconciliation. I am all for it. I I just recently this week had a a meeting with an African-American pastor friend of mine up on the peninsula. We actually played basketball together and against each other. And we've been talking for a while back and forth, just messaging, going, look, we got let's do something together. Let's start some dialogue. Let's talk because the church needs to be healed of this stuff. And, uh, and there needs to be reconciliation. And both of us were talking about this very same thing together. Is reconciliation between black and white will never be sustained unless there is first a reconciliation of both black and white to God. That's right. That's right. I am all for the reconciliation between blacks and whites and browns and reds and yellows and everything else in between. I want that. And I know that you do too. Our church is all about that. But if it's built on the foundation of what the world sees as reconciliation, it won't last. If it's only built on us reconciling to each other, then we can have all the parades in the world we want. We can have all the protests in the world that we want. We can have all the Facebook posts and blogs that we want. But it won't last. Because human nature creeps in. And what began with a well-intentioned movement can't be sustained unless all of us are first reconciled to God. The first place of reconciliation is not man to man, it's man to God. Be reconciled to God. You know, there's two things here that Paul talks about. The ministry of reconciliation, right? He says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is what we do, okay? Ministry means to serve. That's one of the most basic definitions of ministry is, is to serve to serve one another. There's the ministry of reconciliation, but it also talks about the message of reconciliation. So he's given us the ministry, but he's committed to us the message. And the message of reconciliation is not what we do, it's what we say. So what we say and what we do is important. The ministry is what we do, the message is what we say. So what is the message of reconciliation? It's in this last scripture. Be reconciled to God. There's a reconciliation that happens to God. When we do that, then He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. I think it's interesting the Bible says He gives it to us. God leaves reconciliation 
from man to man up to us. So if I'm praying that God would reconcile the races, black and white, but I'm not willing to engage in conversation with people of a different ethnicity, nationality, language, or even uh, personality, then I'm not actually doing what God said. God gave me that ministry to reconcile with each other. So it means I have to do everything I can to try to bring reconciliation. And as much as I can sit here and go, well, I'm not a racist. I love people of different colors. I still need to be proactively engaging in people of other ethnicities. Does that make sense? That ministry of reconciliation belongs to me. God gave that to me. My reconciliation to God must happen first. It's got to happen first. And it's got to happen continually. But He leaves the reconciliation up to us. Reconciliation is ministry. And ministry is reconciliation. Those two things go hand in hand. Does that make sense? Yep, but sense I, I want you to think about how this reconciliation actually happens. Probably the greatest picture I've seen of this is, is at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And He says something very interesting because people were gathered around in front of Him. Some were spectating. Some were laughing. Some were bawling their eyes out. And there's two people that were sitting there. One is John, one of His closest disciples. And the other is his mother, Mary. And he looks at Mary and says, Mary, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Now, Mary and John were not biological mother and son. What made them family, what made them mother and son, was that they were both at the foot of the cross. They were there reconciling themselves, understanding that the blood that was flowing from Jesus in that moment was the same blood that needed they needed to wash away their sins. Both of them. Mary knew she needed a Savior just as much as John did, and she gave birth to Jesus. But she is there repenting. She is there at the foot of the cross. John is there at the foot of the cross. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Mary or Mom, you're going to have to... Ima. That's the word they keep using in... Uh, the Chosen. I love this series, The Chosen. He doesn't sit there and say, Ima, go find somebody else to take care of you. I'm not going to be here. He looks at who's there. Yeah. Who's here? Who's repenting? Who is at the foot of the cross receiving what I'm pouring out? Because because they've reconciled to me, they can now be reconciled to each other. The thing they had in common was that they were both at the foot of the cross. There was even a Roman centurion who put Jesus on the cross that when he saw the power that went out on the day of his death, said, surely this man was a son of the gods. He is as much a part of this family thing as John and Mary are. Because he, he has reconciled himself to God. And because of that, they can reconcile to each other. What makes us brothers and sisters is not that I call you, hey brother, hey sister. It's because we have the same blood flowing through us. The blood of Jesus that flows in me also flows in you. What makes Carolyn and I brother and sister is that we have her blood and her DNA and my father's blood, that's my mother, um, flowing through us. That makes us brother and sister. Spiritually speaking, we have the same blood flowing through us. Paul writes later about what makes up the family of God. And he was writing to Jewish Christians who were keeping out Gentile believers from the church. 
Because these Jewish believers called the Judaizers were telling people, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You also have to be circumcised. You've got to follow these Jewish rules and regulations. You don't, it's not good enough to be Christian. You also have to be Jewish. And Paul lights them up and says, no, no. You are children of Abraham, not because of your bloodline. You're children of Abraham by faith. He says, because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So your faith in Jesus is what makes you also the seeds of Abraham. It also makes you his descendants. And what Paul is telling them, because this was what you're experiencing now between races and, and the, the, the tension that's happening right now was just as strong, if not stronger, between Jew and Gentile in the early church. And Paul says, you're both brothers. And you're not brothers because of what you look like. You're not brothers because of the rules that you follow. You're not brothers because of your bloodline. You're brothers because of your faith. It's the blood of Jesus that, that unites you together. And when they were both reconciled to God, then there can be reconciliation to each other. And that's what Paul says. The message of reconciliation is not, hey, would you all work this out and do church stuff together? It's be reconciled to God. You know, I'm all for understanding, right? Understanding is great, but adoption is better. It's better. And we're all adopted into the family of God. And there's no doubt that racism is a worldly point of view. It views people through the lens of the world. God never created racism. In fact, when God created Adam and put him in the garden, he gave him dominion over all of the animals, all the fish, even the weather. Adam had dominion over all of that stuff, Adam and Eve together. But God never gave one human dominion over another. That happened when Cain kills Abel, and now all of a sudden sins come into the world, and part of the consequences of that led to murder, slavery, all kinds of things. So God eventually... It became so bad, he cleans the whole earth with a flood. Then Noah and his family emerge from the ark, and he gives Noah the exact same covenant that he gave with Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion. And the promise was for Noah and his sons. But then, sure enough, one of his sons decides to break the promise, and Noah, not God, Noah curses the son by saying, your sons will be a slave to your brother's sons. God didn't say that, Noah did, right? you got to understand that any kind of slavery, bondage, subservience, discrimination is a result of the curse. It was never a result of the plan. And I never want to view other people through the lens of the curse. I want to view people through the lens of the promise. The promise for Abraham is, I will bless all nations through you. And so... I'm not necessarily trying to get back to the garden, but I want to make sure that when I'm viewing God's intention, I'm viewing it through the promise He made to Adam and the promise He made to Noah, not the way they ended up screwing it up later on. Racism is a worldly point of view. When you view people as the world does, when you regard people from a worldly point of view, you are looking at them through the lens of the curse. I don't want to look that way. Viewing people through the lens of the curse means you see somebody in a wheelchair and go, well, that's a shame. That's, I guess that just happens sometimes. No, that's the lens of the curse. I want to view through the lens of the promise. You can be healed. In Jesus' name, you can be healed. Don't regard people 
in a worldly point of view. But to end something like racism, I do think the church has to intervene. It happened in the civil rights movement, and it's happening again now. I do think it's our responsibility to intervene in those times. But our intervention doesn't come just through a Facebook post and just through conversations with people of different races. It comes through revival. Revival is what will end racism in this nation. I'm all for police reform. I'm all for protests. But it will not be sustained if this nation does not get on their knees and repent before God, both black and white and every other race. Be reconciled to God. That was Paul's instructions to all of us. Revival changes the view. It changes from regarding people from a worldly point of view to seeing the way God sees them. Racism can absolutely exist in a religious culture. But it cannot exist in a revival culture. It can't. I've seen plenty of religious systems that are just as prejudiced and racist as you could possibly imagine. I'm sick of hearing black churches, white churches, and multicultural churches. Like there's three categories. There's only the church. That's it. There's no classifications of those things. Racism can exist in a religious environment. It cannot resist. It cannot exist in a revival culture. That when we confess and repent and forgive and repeat, confess, repent, and forgive, we get God's Spirit in us. And I promise you, God's Spirit is not racist. That's right. Right. And when His Spirit is flowing through you, you see people the way that He sees them. It'd be foolish to say God doesn't see black or white. He created black and white. He sees it, but they're all sons and daughters. They're all a part of the family. It'd be foolish to say that we're all the same, but we do all have the same blood within us. So God sees the differences and He glorifies, just like He sees the rest of creation of how He created things very, very differently. And it's what makes us beautiful. Our differences is what makes us beautiful. But if we continue to live in a revival culture, it is the thing that will end racism in our time. And when we talk about reconciliation, I don't want to ruffle some feathers. Maybe I do. But reconciliation is not everybody getting the same share. Reconciliation is everyone in the same household. That's the difference. It's not, we'll make sure that you get the same thing that we get. It means we're all in the same household. Let me give you kind of an example of this. So in my house, I've got three kids. And sometimes my kids want to claim stuff. Your kids ever do that? This is mine. This is mine. And I say, hey, look, first of all, I pay the mortgage in this place. Everything under this roof is mine. This is my couch. That is my TV. This is my remote. This is my food. Let's not get confused about who pays the bills around here. Right? Everybody's dad has said that at one point in time. Yeah. These are all mine. That's right. But because you live in my house, and because you're my kid, they're yours too. And they're no more yours or less than they are your brother and sister. It's all mine, but I choose to share it with you. The thing that means that they have access to everything is that they are my kids. And every race... And everyone who has bent their knee and submitted their heart and surrendered their heart to Jesus 
not to each other, but to Jesus, shares in everything that Jesus is and everything that He has because you become a part of His household. Reconciliation is everyone in the same household. God gave all of us dominion, but He never gave us dominion over each other. Dominion over each other is a product of the curse. (laughs) So what happens when we get this mentality that I have to make sure I have an equal share? It's pretty funny. So we've got three dogs, right? Three Yorkies. There's a mom, a dad, and one of the babies. That's our our three families, our, our three dogs in our family. And we have the best mailman ever. His name's Ron. And he, he's, uh, every day he comes and delivers the mail, he puts a doggy treat on top of the mailbox. Here's the problem. He puts one doggy treat on the top of that mailbox. And listen, I do like my dogs, but I do like to play some games with them. So sometimes I'll divide the treat into three. Sometimes into two. Sometimes just one, just to see how these dogs react. Because they know when I come in from the mail, someone's getting a treat. And it better be me. And the same thing happens every time. They are begging and pleading and scratching over it. And the same thing happens every time if I do the one. If I do the three, they're like, what do you think they're going to do? If they see three of them down there, what are they going to do? Which one's the biggest? That's the one I'm going to go for. But if I do one... Who do you think gets the one? That mama will push her baby out of the way, take that dog biscuit, and run away with it and will snarl at the other two dogs if they try to get her biscuit. What mom treats her little baby like that? But trust me, if either one of the other two dogs got it before she did, they do the exact same thing. Sometimes I divide it into two and just let them fight to the death and see which one actually wins. But I look at them and I go, it happened today as I was looking at my message and I went, this is exactly what we do. We think we all deserve equal share. And if we don't get equal share, I'll make sure I get mine. So I either want equal or more, but I certainly don't want less. And I want to look at these dogs and go, dogs, that's just a treat from the mailman. I have so many treats on that shelf that you don't even know about. All you need to do is ask me and you will receive. But you don't receive because when you ask, you ask selfishly. But if you would just ask me. In fact, if two of you got together and agreed about anything you want, I'm getting carried away now. I'm talking about dogs. But the fact is we treat God the same way. Look, I either want fairness or... What we say when we want fairness is, I want mine. It means I don't want to get less. But if we've got the mentality that if I'm living in the house, and if I'm part of the family, all of it belongs to me, then I'm not so concerned about what I get. Now, I have brothers and sisters in this household. I do want to make sure that they're not being cheated by other brothers and sisters in the household. I do want to make sure that my brothers and sisters are getting their fair share. But their fair share is not because God lacks. It's because somewhere along the line, maybe one of the brothers and sisters decided that they should get more than the other. But sometimes the message of reconciliation is not to go to the other brother and make him give it up. 
Sometimes you just got to go back to dad. That's what my kids do. If my kids get cheated, they first argue with each other, but then they come to me or they come to mom, and then we'll resolve it. And sometimes what happens when I see one kid get cheated, do you know what happens when dad notices? That kid gets two. That's the heart of a father. But I want them both to be reconciled to God. I want us to be reconciled to God before we get reconciled to each other. Jesus tells the story of a, a lost son or a prodigal son. And he runs away, spoils, or, or spends all of his inheritance he got from his own father. But he comes to the end of himself and comes home and just wants to beg to be one of his dad's hired servants. And the dad welcomes him with open arms. And what he didn't realize is, you know, the, the father kills the fatted calf and puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and has a big party for him. He thought the father would just treat him like a servant. What he didn't realize is you're still as much a son now as you ever were. But the problem is that prodigal son had an older brother who never left home. He always did what was right. He always made sure that he did the work he was supposed to and was probably making up for the work his brother was supposed to be doing but was out partying. And when he saw the reaction of the father towards the younger son, he got mad. And the father runs out to the older brother and goes, why haven't you come to the party? He says, well, I heard you threw a party for this guy that just spoiled all your wealth. I'm not coming to celebrate that. And the father tells him, didn't you know that you were in the household? I was always with you and you could have thrown a party anytime you wanted. My whole household is yours. Why are you worried about what your brother gets when you live in my house and everything under this roof belongs to you? That's the kingdom. God has given us the keys to the kingdom. He's given us access to healing, salvation, and deliverance through the blood of Jesus. If we really want to see revival and we really want to see reform in our nation, it starts in the hearts of men. It starts in our own hearts of being willing to let God in. Then it moves to the structures of government and entertainment and society. But it's got to start with us. The best way we can see the reconciliation between races is for us right now to reconcile ourselves to God. God, I I again come before you. And if there's any unclean way within me, if if I have regarded people from a worldly point of view, that's what racism is. And I'm not calling anybody racist. But if there's anything in me that has seen people through a worldly point of view, God, would you purify that and give me your lens that I can see what you see. God does not have an us and them mentality. So we shouldn't either. One of my favorite stories to read about is about the Azusa Street Revival. What a wonderful move of God. I actually I haven't been there. I didn't realize it's right in Skid Row in LA of where this massive revival happened right after the at the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century. There was a massive revival that happened in Azusa Street in California. Huge revival. And one of the things that one of the writers talked about who was a part of this revival and was actually praying it in, it said that um, the color line was washed away in the blood. The black and white were worshiping together. Do you know that just before the Azusa Street Revival was one of the worst massacres, racial massacres our country had ever seen? 
where something had happened where somebody blamed a black person for committing a crime, actually touching a woman in an elevator, and I think the person was innocent anyway, and there were mobs of white people that went into the black neighborhood and burned the whole town down and killed tons of people. Like if that happened today, you, you can't imagine the whole country would be turned upside down. It was one of the worst massacres ever. And very soon after that is when the Azusa Street Revival happened. Now you talk about a rift between cultures, that's going to cause a rift, is that kind of a massacre. But what happened is both black and white reconciled to God and then they came together and reconciled with each other. That to me is what revival is all about. That's what reconciliation is about. God has given me the ministry of reconciliation, but God has also given me the message of reconciliation. I want to do everything I can to reconcile myself to my black and brown and red brothers and sisters. But I want to make sure that I understand it begins in my own heart of reconciling myself to God. And it means proclaiming the message of reconciliation that all of us need to be reconciled to God. If we do, we get His mind in us. We don't regard people from a worldly point of view. We see them as He does. We see them as either lost who need to know Jesus or those who are in the family and are our brothers and sisters, but we don't have an us and them mentality. If we do that, I honestly believe this country can be healed. The answer to the fractures that are happening in our nation today are not more meetings and more parades and more protests. It's a reconciliation to God. And even if you're watching today, I pray that if you've never reconciled your own heart to God, this can be your opportunity to do that. That just means praying a simple prayer of asking Jesus into your heart, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, thanking Him for dying on the cross for you so that you could be made the new creation that Paul talked about. And if you'd like to do that, I just want to pray a quick prayer for you. We're going to pray it here together, but I want you to pray with me as well too. Say, Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I receive your forgiveness. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need you. Come into my heart. Purify me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. I am a son slash daughter. Fill in your spot. I am a son of God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that tonight, today, Whatever time it is where you are, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. God bless you, and we'll see you again back here real soon. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this, or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.